0: Hey, everyone. This is Jim from faithtestedbyfire.com. I just want to say before we get started, if you haven't subscribed to the update list, go to faithtestedbyfire.com, subscribe there, and you will get an email every time a new podcast is released. So, hey, let me say uh, it's good to be back I had a week's vacation, a week offline. Uh, I have a very small data plan on my cell phone, so I only checked emails occasionally just to see if anything important came in uh, work-wise. It didn't, so everything was still here when I left. I know sometimes you feel that if you're not on top of everything that's happening online, in the news, or wherever, that you're missing out on something. And it's amazing that when you step away from it, and you're not connected to it for a period of days or a week, maybe even weeks, um, it changes your your perspective on things. It's it's almost like uh, you have energy in you that you didn't have before. You don't realize sometimes whatever you give your attention to, that's where the energy in you goes to, the mental energy. And the mental energy, you only have so much of it. And they say that In terms of energy, physical versus mental, it takes longer to restore mental energy than it does physical energy. So in other words, if you're doing mental work for eight hours, or you're doing physical labor for eight hours, at the end of the time, it takes the mind longer to recover than the body does from that amount of time of work. It's very interesting. And I've noticed that in my own experience. When I focus my energy on spiritual things, and do what the Bible says about setting your mind on the things that are above in that heavenly world where uh, God is. And when you focus on things like faith and forgiveness and love and all these things that the Bible teaches, maybe churches don't teach it like they used to, at least the average ones, but that's what the message that Jesus came to bring was a very positive message. It was a message of forgiveness. It was a a message of restoration between an individual and God. It was a very positive message uh, the only time that you saw any negative is, is when people rejected the message. And the people reject the message because it, when you really look at the Bible, it's about releasing control and having faith in God, whereas re, the religious system is based upon control. right? So, so uh, the religious system uses the truth and perverts it and twists it to their own benefit. But the truth as Jesus told it was to everybody's benefit. In other words, nobody loses. We're all on equal ground. So the Bible says in God's eyes, in him, in Jesus, in Christ, there's, there's no difference whether you're a male or a female, whether you were born a Jew or a Greek, like they said in the day. Um, but everybody has opportunity to be a new person in, in, in Christ. So it's a very positive message. But in the world, everything's very negative. And every time you look at something negative, it, sucks. it seems to suck a little bit of life out of you, if you really think about it. When you listen to the news, it sucks a little bit of life out of you. So why do you go back day after day to have more life sucked out of you? I understand that people want to um, keep up on things and they, they want to know what's going on in the world. Totally understand that. But when it goes beyond an addiction – where you don't feel right unless you get your negative news for the day, then you have to wonder that, you know, it's like an alcoholic. If an alcoholic could take a pill and it would eliminate their desire for alcohol, no cold turkey, nothing ever again, would they do it? Probably 99% of them would. I'm leaving that 1% option open in case somebody's totally out of their mind and not thinking clearly. But really, regardless, whatever addictive habit that you have, if it's bad, if you could just swallow a pill and replace it with a good habit, why wouldn't you? Because you know it benefits you. You know, it's like the person that smokes, they know they should stop smoking, but there's something in them that's so strong that compels them to do something that's not helping them. So whether it's it's food or habits or whatever we're talking about, um, everything seems to go towards that negative trend and, and and people on the outside who never actually read the New Testament, that's what their idea of it is, because men have taken the truth and they've twisted it to their own end. The Bible puts it this way, that that men twist the scriptures to their own destruction. So Jesus put it this way. He said the thief, Satan, demons, evil spirits, things that we can't see, but in affect how we think, that affect attitudes, that affect decisions of key people in high places. It says Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you might have more life and have it more abundantly. So that's not just talking about the outside part of your life. It's also talking about the inside of it. So I learned, and I just want to thank God for this, that uh, before certain people in my life were gone, to appreciate them. So there's no regrets, no regrets of not having been there, no regrets of not having taken the time to listen. And if that was you and you've been in that place, there's no condemnation to you. But now you know better. And so you you know how to adjust what's important and what's not and make that internal adjustment and that changes what's happening on the outside. But anyway, let's get back to my main thought here. Acts chapter four. Is sometimes let me let me say this again about the relig- the religious system tries to control you, whereas what Jesus preached wasn't a control system. It was a system. I don't even want to call it a system, but if we're comparing systems with systems, and we're comparing what the religious world teaches, as compared to what Jesus did, Jesus preached a message of freedom, a message where all the hard work has been done for you. You don't have to strive anymore. Jesus said, take and learn of me that he was meek and that his burden was light. You know, some people are burdened down. That doesn't come from from God. That's your own mind working against you, or what the Bible calls the wicked Presence that lives in the high places that tries to influence you. But Acts chapter 4, actually, let's start in Acts chapter 3. This is really good because we're all in this situation from time to time. Acts chapter 3 talks about Peter and John, that they went up to the temple in the hour of prayer. And then in the second verse, it talks about the lame man who was there daily at the gate who asked for alms or money so he could live. So maybe he lived in a little hole in the wall somewhere. I'm sure he had to pay rent, uh, just like people do today. He probably, I'm guessing he didn't have a mortgage. But it says, "Who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked, um, and Peter, fasting his eyes on him with John, said, look on us. And he gave heed to them, expecting to receive something from them. He expected to receive. He expected to receive. Now, the Bible says that Jesus was in that area throughout his ministry, especially near the end, in the temple. Remember the money changers? Well, the chances are that this guy didn't just show up suddenly. Um, Maybe he was there in Solomon's porch at one time waiting for the water to stir. Who knows? But notice it says that he expected to receive something of them. Why do you think that's written that way? It could have just said that he looked at them. The the man laying there, he looked at them or he gave them their attention. It says he gave heed to them, meaning he gave them his attention. Plus, he expected to receive something of them. Of course, he didn't expect what he got because Peter says, silver and gold have I none, and that's what he asked for but he got a different type of of blessing. He says, silver and gold have I none, but such I have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ to rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. So obviously this man allowed him to take his hand. He didn't pull his hand away and he lifted him up. He didn't complain and say, no, 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 you can't lift me up and pull his hand away. He allowed the process to just work itself out and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength and he leapt and he leaping up stood and walked right so the first thing you do when you stand up if you haven't stood up before is you try to walk right and he said he entered with them into the temple walking and leaping and praising god and all the people who saw him walking praised god so he's on the outside, the people passed him to get to the inside, and now he's walking inside and everybody sees him. And then verse number 10, and they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement. So everybody sees this this miracle, and then they look at Peter and John, because it says the lame man which was healed held Peter and John. The people ran together. Peter said, you men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Well, of course they would marvel at it because the guy was crippled and now he's not. Or why do you look so earnestly on us as though by our own power or holiness, we made this man walk? So the number one thing that faith people, Christian people, if you read the, the books and, and, and listen to the messages that are, are very popular, it talks about, and people talk about, and even I've talked about, what to do to receive something from God according to what the Bible says. I've had my own experiences, and I can tell you about them. I know others have. My um, uh, family members have been uh, healed of cancer. One of my friends had uh, cancer on his skin, and throughout his body, he had about 30 days left to live. The cancer's dried up and fell off immediately, and the internal cancer disappeared slowly over the next 12 months, and his weight came back little by little by little. Why did part of it happen instantly and the other part take longer time? I think the answer to that question has to be, I don't know. Now, if you say it's faith or or the faith wasn't strong enough, let's say, is that possible? I guess it can be possible. It makes sense, but what is the the logic of man and and the wisdom of God aren't always in sync. The knowledge of man, the knowledge of God, two different things. We're just we don't even know a thousandth of of what God knows. but the problem is is we try to look for. Uh, answers because we want to be able to control the process as much as possible from our end. That's really what it comes right down to, right? You work hard because you're after a certain result. You become fearful because as you're working, I don't care what it is you're working at or for, it suddenly occurs to you that you don't have all the control over the situation that you thought you did. Fear brings bondage. And part of that bondage is doubt because you may not be up for the task. And so when you're in a place where you're fearful and there's bondage, you look at yourself, right? So what Peter said is, why do you look so earnestly at us as though by our own power or holiness, we made this man walk. So if you believe it's your own power, or you believe it's your own holiness that gets the job done, or that got the job done in the past, and the job isn't getting done today like you want it to, then the focus all goes back on you, not on God, right? And the Bible says, have faith in God. It doesn't say have faith in your faith. Now, I'm not trying to, uh, you know, argue about semantics and, and, and play with words. I'm just talking about, I'm trying to use what I'm saying now so that you reflect on your own experience. How many times have you asked yourself, what do I have to do? And Jesus told people over and over again what to do. Only believe. Only believe. So if Peter says that it wasn't by his power or his holiness that he was able to made, make this man walk, then he knows that he knew because he spent time with Jesus. He made a lot of mistakes, as did John, but they both knew that they didn't control the power, they didn't control the holiness, they were just a pipe through which it flowed. Did you ever wonder why somebody like the Apostle Paul made the statement, When I'm weak, I'm strong? When I'm weak, I'm strong. When, in other words, imagine this imagine there's some kind of obstacle between you and the door of your house, right in front of the door. And you try to move it, and it's just not moving. And you try to tie something to it, but you don't have the right kind of rope or chain or, or way of connecting it to what you need to. And you try and you try and you try. And, 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 and suddenly, you just, out of exasperation, give up. And you don't know what to do. You've exhausted your knowledge, your resources, or whatever. This may be a poor illustration. Maybe a better one is your car stuck in front of your house. But you do what you know how to do and you can't move the obstacle. See, that's the point where we come to the end of our rope that we really genuinely, sometimes it takes that for us to finally have to trust God and have faith. And the, the wrestling that we do with fear is because we're afraid that our performance may not be up to par. I remember this time, I was in high school, this was many years ago, and I was in a tennis match. And all of a sudden I started serving terribly. And you know, the the serve moves around. First one person serves, then the next. If there's doubles, then one person on one team serves, then the next person on the other team, and it goes around until it comes back to you. Well, every time I was serving in the game, We lost, my partner and I. I remember getting so frustrated and afraid. The fear set in because I thought, because my performance is so poor and I can't figure out any way to do it, we're losing points. And then we lost the game. And I thought, if we keep losing the game, then we're going to lose the match. And if we lose the match, then the tennis team as a whole might lose this meeting with our our rivals. And I remember one point where the ball was rolling over and I saw the people in the crowd and I just wished that I could just change places with them. I wished that. And one of my um, my my best supporter, my father, was there. And I remember walking over as the ball. You know, you don't have ball boys when you're a high school tennis player. You have to pick up the ball yourself. And one of the balls rolled over into the corner by the fenced-in area and I had to walk over there. I walked like I was like walking through quicksand. I just I was so frustrated, and I looked over at my dad, and I said, I don't know what I'm doing. I just felt like giving up. I felt like running away. I just like, just get me out of here. Put this in the past. Let me get it over with. Let me just lose. I was almost at that point. I looked at him, and he said, just go back to the basics. All you have to do is get the ball in play. Once you get the ball in play, then all of the other – Because everything else was working. It just was the serve that wasn't. My partner was playing well. My ground game was well. It's just I couldn't serve properly. The balls were going wide, long, into the net. He said, Just get the ball into play. Forget about everything else. Forget all the fancy stuff. Just get the ball over into the box. And we'll work on what went wrong after the fact. And so I did, and we won. When you're in a test or a trial and things aren't going right, remember the basics that the Bible teaches. It's not by your power or your holiness. The Bible says, Now abides these three, faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. Jesus is our righteousness. Jesus is our redemption. That's what the Bible says. He did the work that we couldn't do so that we could be right in God's sight. Back in the Old Testament, every time somebody sinned, there was a record made of it. And once a year, they would make sacrifices to cover those sins. But the Bible says that Jesus is our sacrifice if we believe in him. And that's all wiped away. We're right in the sight of God. right? The first Adam, the Bible says, brought sin into the world. The second Adam took it out. <laughs> and in between, there's all of us. And that's why he said, when when uh, the disciples asked him right before the cross happened, Jesus said, you know the way. And they said, well, show us the way. We don't know what the way is. In other words, draw a map for us. Show us where to go first, where to go second. Tell us how many miles it is, you know. And Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I'm the life. So he didn't come basically to give a long, exhaustive set of instructions when this happens, this is what you do. When that happens, that is what you do. How did he even pray for this? Sometimes he even pray for people. He just touched them. And when he taught them how to pray, when you see how they prayed, it was very heartfelt. It was very sincere. So that's why I want to look at this. Let's look at this again. It says, why do you look at us as though by our own power or holiness, we made this man walk? Before Jesus went to the cross, what did he tell the disciples in John chapter 15? You believe in God, believe also in me. So you believe in the Father, believe in the Son, too. It says here that verse 16, and his name, that's the name of Jesus, through faith in this na- in his name, made this man strong. In other words, Peter and John had faith in Jesus, not in their own faith. They didn't they weren't self-focused. There's nothing wrong with with your believing. The Bible says Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. His name through faith in his name, it's all been given by us. That fits right along with the book of Ephesians, which says, by grace you are saved through faith and that not of yourselves. So the salvation isn't of yourself, the healing isn't of yourself, the believing isn't of yourself, none of it's of yourself. We are just like the hoses that are attached to the faucet, And the water's turned on. We just have to be open to let that water flow. So it says, his name through faith in his name has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which is by him, which is by him, not by us. Yes, the faith which is by him, that goes right along with Jesus the author and finisher of our faith, has given him, this man that used to be crippled, this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. So he says to the people, repent, therefore. In other words, you didn't believe in Jesus before, believe in him now. Repent and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. When the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. So let's go on to the next chapter. Because the people that ordered the crucifixion weren't too happy about this. I mean, would you be? be? I mean, imagine you order somebody to be imprisoned or killed or something bad to happen. And you find out that the person, you made a mistake, right? And everybody's going to realize you made a mistake and everybody's going to be, did you ever open your mouth and you said something, but you couldn't take it back? And you realize there's no undo button here. In other words, there's a sequence of events coming because you said or did something and there's no escape from it. You just have to go through it. Absolutely, we all have. So in the fourth chapter, the high priest and the other high priest, the people that controlled the religious system are basically saying, how did this happen? He told them that it was by the name of Jesus that the miracle happened. And they basically said, what What can we say? We don't want you to teach and preach in this name anymore. And they threatened them, right? They threatened them because they didn't really care about the person that was healed. They cared about how they looked and what was going to happen to them. So that's what the threats are about. But notice what happens here after all these threats came out. It says in the 24th verse, this is when they heard the threats. It says, when they heard that they lifted their voice to God with one accord, and they said, Lord, you are God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in it. Who by the mouth of your servant David said, why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? For the kings of the earth stood up, and the rulers were gathered against the Lord, against his Christ. For truly, against your holy child Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel gathered together, for to do what your hand and your counsel determined to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant to your servants, those are the people praying, that with all boldness, they may speak your word by stretching forth your hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of your holy child, Jesus. And it says, and when they had prayed, the, pl- the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and spoke the word of God with boldness. And of course, God stretched forth his hand and healed in the name of Jesus. So you can read that, but what I want you to take away from this, look at the 24th verse, for Acts 4, chapter 24. And it says, and when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God. In this case, the that happened to be threats. But in your own life, you're going to hear things, and it's not going to be good news. And this is an example here of how the original believers believed how they prayed, and how God responded. It says they lifted up their voice with one accord. So sometimes it's just one person praying. Sometimes maybe it's you and your wife or your husband. And they actually quoted scripture here. They presented the situation to God, and they pleaded their case. They basically said, this is what's happening. This is who we recognize who you are. In other words, they're acknowledging God and his ability. And this is what we're asking you to do for us. And then it says that after they prayed, the the place was shaken. So we can see other examples of this in action. In other words, they're praying, they're asking God for help, but then they're doing something. They're using the name of Jesus or they're going out to reach people Let's look at another example um, and and think about the examples that we see today and compare them with the examples that we see acted out here, because this is the generation that's closer to the truth and we're the kind of the generation that's farther from the truth. But it's not just the facts that matter. I mean, the facts matter, of course, but what I'm saying is it's this is not like an education that you would get if you go to college, because the information is just information. But we have a Holy Spirit who takes information from God the Father through Jesus Christ, and he gives it to individuals in real time. So in other words, he's confirming truth throughout the ages to people. And even though a religious system has built up around this and has put a lot of traditions in there that you just don't see in the Bible, there the truth is still available. In other words, just because you were not back then, just because you didn't see Peter and John and all of these people Paul face to face and were able to ask them questions that doesn't mean that you can't get the same truth that they had the same information that they had because you have the same spirit and and that's what separates god from religion because god is living and religion is dead so okay let's go on a little bit further so if, you, if we look into Acts chapter 9, here's another example of this, and, and I want to end it here. This is where, uh, let's go forward a little bit here. Okay, around verse 39, uh, this is when uh, Peter used, he used a combination of using the name of Jesus, just like he did in the beginning part of the book of Acts. And another time he used a combination of praying to God and then using the name of Jesus. And so it says in verse number 33, it says, And there he found a certain man named Ananias, who had kept his bed eight years and was sick of the palsy. And Peter said to him, Ananias, Jesus Christ makes you whole rise, arise, and make your bed. And he rose up immediately. So there, he's just speaking the words. So how did he learn how to do that? Well, the Bible says that Jesus gave first his uh, 12 disciples authority, and then he gave the 70 he sent out doing the same thing, the same authority, and then it was 120 on the, um, in the upper room, I believe, uh, but, but look at this again, Ananias, Jesus Christ makes you whole. This goes right along with Mark eleven twenty three, 23, which says, if you believe what you say shall come to pass, you will have what you say. So when Peter said, Jesus Christ makes you whole, he believed that what he said would come to pass. And it says he arose immediately. So we don't know if there was like a manifestation of something and then he rose or if he just tried to get up by faith and then it happened. It doesn't tell us there. So really it's unimportant. What is important is that it's not by Peter's power or holiness, again, in this instance, that made this miracle happen. It was the name of Jesus and faith in the name. Okay. So, um, okay. So verse number 37, it came to pass in those days that she was sick, talking about Tabitha, um, a girl in the verse above, and died. Uh, whom when they washed, they laid her in an upper chamber. So she was already dead. Um, For as much as Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples had heard that Peter was there, and they sent to him two men, desiring that he would not delay to come to them. Then Peter arose and went to them, and when he had come, they brought him to the upper chamber, and all the widows stood there by him weeping. So at this point, she's probably cold and dead, not just dead and washed, but cold, dead, as dead as dead can get. And showing him the garments uh, the coats and garments which Dorcas made while she was with him. But Peter put them all forth. So he remembered that. Just what Jesus did, he put everybody forth except for Peter and John. He got all the doubt, all the crying, all the weeping away. And it says, he kneeled down and prayed and then turned to the body and said, so what what do you think he prayed when he kneeled down? Probably he lifted up his voice to God and acknowledged who God was and what type of ability God had and what God would do through Peter, through him. And why didn't he do that in the 34th verse when he found a Why didn't he pray? Why did he just use the name? But here he prays, then uses the name, probably because of the circumstances surrounding it. I mean, there weren't there wasn't negativity. What I mean by that negativity, I'm not talking about negative versus positive as much as I'm talking about faith versus doubt. When you see people around you weeping and crying and being negative, even Jesus put them all forth because it affects you. There's no way you can be a, a loving human being and not be negatively affected by depressed people around you. Because in order to not be effective, you have to not care I mean, you try and block it, but it has an effect on you. It's kind of like walking down a dusty road. Dust sticks to you, and you have to wash it off. Kind of like Jesus said when he washed the disciples' feet, and Peter said, oh, clean all of me from head to toe. He says, you don't have any need for me to wash you from head to toe. You're already clean from the word which i spoken, but, you know, I just have to wash your feet. So it's daily maintenance. So here is some maintenance, in my personal opinion, that we see because if this was a formula, they would follow it exactly this way every time. There is no formula. There's only the principle. And the principle is believing brings results and doubt doesn't. And persistent believing brings results and persistent doubt doesn't. I've seen things happen right away. And I've seen things happen over a long time. I was telling you about my friend who had the cancer throughout his body. It was down to about 90 pounds when it was, it's internal and external cancer. The skin cancer dried up and fell off within days. The internal cancer took a while. He, he had to walk in persistent faith. He actually worked for himself and, and what he did. He's still alive today. He went to work every day and worked the best he could in a weakened state. That was his way of pushing forward in faith. He refused to embraced the position of a sick man laying in bed waiting to die, and he even, re, he even resisted the temptation to be a sick man in bed waiting to get healed. He wasn't waiting for anything. He said he based his faith on Mark eleven twenty four. He believed he had the answer, and to the best of his ability, he acted like the Bible was true. Some people are acting like the Bible's going to be true at a future point in time, but faith is always present tense, right? You have to believe now in this lifetime in the gospel. Once you get on the other side, then you, then it's, you know, your the timing is, it's a little late to believe in a uh, Jesus Christ being a savior once you get there, because you don't need faith to do it then. You have it by sight. So, I didn't invent the system. I don't try to argue with the system. I'm not saying I understand every point of it 100%, but I know enough. I know the basics. I know the basics work. It's been my personal experience over the last 30 years. It's been the experience of others. I also know doubt works in so far as it keeps things from happening. That's been my, also been my experience, and it's also been the experience of others. So rather than debate about it, fight about it, Um, ask 101 different people what they think about it. All that matters in the end of the day is for you as an individual, the choice you decide that you're going to make is the truth that you're going to embrace and the life that you're going to walk out and where this gospel is going to fit into that particular life. So here, Peter put them all forth. He kneeled down and prayed. He probably lifted up his heart to God until God became bigger than the problem. right? And then he turned to the body and said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened up her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he called the saints and widows, uh, presented her alive. And it was known all throughout Joppa, many believed in the Lord. So the difference between the gospel and religion is the Bible says that the Holy Spirit confirms the word with signs following. That's the truth. That's the hard fact. That's why so many people got saved. So if you're in a point in your life where where the signs following um, don't seem to be as as readily visible as you see in some other um, people's lives, don't get discouraged and don't think that you just need more knowledge, right? Because the disciples thought they just needed more faith, and Jesus said to them basically that even if you have a faith like a grain of a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds, uh, you can move a mountain. So instead, go to the true source of the faith, which isn't the intellect, is the heart. It's your personal relationship with God. It's it's your communication with God. It's You have the opportunity to know God as Father. You have the opportunity to know God as a friend. You have the opportunity to have that relationship with Jesus, the Bible says. It's a relationship that exists in your heart, not just in your head. And and it's a relationship that you walk in by faith. Once you see the results, you don't need as much faith. If you've ever seen um, a miracle happen right in front of your eyes where reality suddenly changes, and maybe a, a damage was there one moment and it disappeared the next, um, that will change you forever. And I'm telling you that as as a friend some people don't like to hear that and say oh well the devil can do that some it seems that some people just for whatever reason they want to embrace a reason for failure and I understand that point of view also because it's frustrating when you try over and over and over again to break through a wall and there just seems to not be any breakthrough and you're exhausted and you don't want to do it anymore. I absolutely, positively know what that is, but let me tell you that the the power behind that mindset isn't from above. The Bible says that every good and every perfect gift cometh down from above, from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variance or shadow of turning. This other thing is an inconsistent thing. It is an opposition to you and to the lives of the people around you. God is glorified when you look at these instances. All the people give glory to God after the miracles. Nobody's giving glory to God while the people are still defeated, when they're still sick, when they're still bedfast. You following what I'm saying? Okay, it's great to be back. Thank you for listening. I appreciate it. Again, if you'd like to get updates whenever a new podcast comes out, please go to www.faithtestedbyfire.com and sign up for the update list there. This is Jim. God bless you. Have a good week, and I'll talk to you again soon.